Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Imagine a world where no one is capable of lying. In this world, words, clauses, sentences can only be spoken if they have an actual clear referent in reality. You can only say something if it actually happened or if it is happening. China Mieville, in his science fiction novel Embassy Town, explores this very idea. The story is set in the planet Eureka in a galaxy on the furthest edges of space on a planet on which the alien hosts, the Arikai, speak this primitive language that does not allow for lies, but further also doesn't allow for hypotheticals, metaphors, or paradoxes. When human explorers arrive, the native Arikai begin to realize the deficiencies of their language. So their first attempt to address this is to create what they call living similes. So they take human children and have them perform some sort of simple action. And then they use this child as comparisons for themselves. So you have the boy who swims with fishes or the girl who ate what was given to her. And the Arikai use these very, very rudimentary attempts at comparisons to be able to change the way that their language works, to express something that is more of a comparison and less something that actually happened in reality. But in the beginning of the book, they still can't go further than these very simple similes. They can't write poetry, they have no metaphor, they can't express paradoxes. Each of these linguistic categories that we take for granted use words to refer to possibilities to make comparisons that are not always fully accurate, to refer to more than one thing at once, to sort of bend reality to express new ideas. They fall short of lying, but they also don't express a clear-cut truth. In the book, when the native Arikai try to teach themselves to speak in these new ways, things become messy, complicated, and violent. Lying, the extreme of what they were reaching for, rarely produces good results. But there is a middle ground where language becomes a vehicle for expanding truth by building in layers of meaning. And that middle ground can be something worth striving for. Today, our gospel reading is a very familiar parable about a sower spreading seed in his field. It's not a story that ever actually happened, because that's not the point of parables. It's a story that makes a comparison between a common everyday occurrence and deeper spiritual truths. We can treat it as a simple lesson, because parables tend to have surface-level meanings that are obvious. But the way that Jesus treats parables shows that if we stop at that surface, at that simple comparison, we're probably not getting the whole meaning. 
Parables both hide and reveal things. So if we have ears to hear, let us listen. But let us also beware of accepting this simple, obvious lesson. This particular parable is intimately familiar to most of us. It's the first one, the first of the story parables in all three synoptic gospels. It launches all the other parables that talk about the kingdom of God. And we've become used to giving it a simple explanation that makes it into little more than a simile, a direct correspondence between this story and our lives. The sower is Jesus, the seed is the word of God, we are the dirt. We hear the word of God, and we, if we are good dirt, then the word produces much fruit in us. So therefore, we ought to listen and be good dirt. But the problem is, if you look in the lectionary, you'll notice that there's a bunch of verses cut out in between Jesus telling the parable and Jesus giving the explanation. And in those verses, Jesus specifically says that this parable is very difficult to understand. But there doesn't seem to be anything particularly difficult about this interpretation. So what's really going on here? The problem with this interpretation is that it leaves no room for mystery, for confusion, for hard thinking. And that's what a good parable is supposed to give us. And in that lack of mystery, we are reduced to moralism. Listen hard, obey God's word, you'll see the kingdom of God. But it's actually where the parable begins to break down, where words and comparisons start to fail, where they seem paradoxical and do not make as much sense that we begin to see the deeper truths that this parable reveals. Take us as the dirt. Our ears and our hearts are supposed to be fertile ground to receive the word of God so that it can bear fruit. And a good portion of the parable is taken up with explaining about what dirt is like. Some of it's packed so hard down that the seed can't even burrow in just left on the top. Some of it is so shallow and rocky that the seed can grow initially, but it can't get any roots or purchase. Some of the dirt is so peppered with thorns that the seeds don't, they can't grow up to their full potential because they're choked out by the thorns. But the rest of it is good dirt. The seed falls there and grows and produces fruit. But almost every time I've heard this parable taught on, the lesson has been, make sure that the dirt of your heart is good dirt. Break up the soil. Get rid of the rocks and the weeds. But if you think about it, dirt doesn't actually get to decide what kind of dirt it is. Dirt actually can't prepare itself to receive seed. It's the sower's job to get the dirt ready to receive seed. Dirt is passive and receptive. This pushes against the grain of a simple moralistic interpretation. 
And yet, Jesus does call us to listen. He says it multiple times in the parable. And we can't ignore that either because we're just dirt. That's the rub of the parable. We both are dirt and we're not dirt. And it's here in this tension that things get interesting. And let's also consider the seed. There's a tradition in the Bible of comparing the word of God to a seed that grows and produces fruit. We see this in our Old Testament reading where God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah to the people of Judah, promising them that his word of comfort spoken in the midst of their exile will come true. The word of God is not ephemeral. It's not spoken into the wind and carried away to disappear like empty promises. No, it's weighty. It falls into the ground. And just as it, as it is inconceivable that rain and snow wouldn't fall into the ground without making the ground fertile, so it's also inconceivable that God's word of promise to the people of Judah would not come true. It will accomplish what he has sent it to do. And we know that Jesus read the prophet Isaiah. He quotes it frequently throughout his ministry. So maybe he even had this passage in mind as he's telling this parable. But with our cursory surface level reading, it actually might seem like this parable contradicts our passage from Isaiah. If the seeds are eaten by the birds and grow in less than ideal soil, isn't God's word not accomplishing its purposes? But the theologian Robert Farrar Capone points out, there may actually be something more going on here. Part of how seeds germinate is by being eaten by birds and then being excreted out elsewhere. So while the seed is not germinating on the path, it doesn't mean that it's not germinating anywhere. And Capone points this out to show that in spite of all odds, the word of God does have its way. It will grow in unlikely conditions. It will produce bumper crops. And even when the devil snatches it up and eats it, its purposes are not wholly subverted. Wherever it lands, it will do what it is supposed to do. But even here, there is another deeper level. The seed is the word of God. But Jesus is also the word of God. Jesus is God speaking into the universe. And this isn't just a simple move from simile to metaphor. It's not just a nice way of phrasing things. Jesus, the Son of God, who existed before the creation of the world and walked the streets of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, is God's word. And this is something that we can't wrap our minds around word, something audible, is also flesh, something tangible, something you can touch and feel. 
the paradox of word becoming flesh breaks down the use of language as we know it. We cannot make our words into actual beings, but our God can and does in Jesus Christ. And so then in our parable, God becomes the sower, and Jesus himself becomes the seed. Jesus comes into our hearts with his words of grace and forgiveness and plants himself there to germinate, to grow, to produce fruit. When the word has sprouted, what we see is not so much obedience to lots of little commands, but the fruit of the word's spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This completely breaks down our initial moralistic interpretation of the parable. Instead of listen hard and obey God's word, we see much deeper and more powerful spiritual truths. By struggling through the paradoxical mystery with its double reference, by questioning the obvious associations and assumptions, we begin to see that God does not just fling out his word, hoping it lands on good ground. No, God sends his spirit, God sends his son into the dirt of our hearts. His son's death and resurrection will accomplish the salvation of the world. No birds, no thorns, no rocks will prevent him from doing that. God's word, his son, will germinate in our hearts. And we are the dirt receptive to him. He does call us to listen. We can't receive Jesus if we've never heard of him. But Jesus' work in the world is the very thing that makes the dirt of our hearts be fertile in the first place. His death and resurrection change us from hard paths to soft, plowed ground. His death and resurrection pluck the stones and pull up the weeds. Once he germinates, the fruit of his spirit will come into our lives. And we will see this fruit in the here and now as we await the coming of his kingdom. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org slash give. Thank you for your support.